Why don't you take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians. We'll continue making our way through it this morning. If you remember from the last few weeks, we talked about the complicated relationship that Paul had with the Corinthians. You know, you have some relationships, they're easy, they're, they're clean, they're nice. Um, these people don't call you and go, hey, is everything okay? You know, they're just easy, they're just, just nice and, and simple. And then you have other relationships with people, God help them, or God help you, you may be the problem. Uh, and it's just not clean, it's not nice, it's messy. And that was Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. It was anything but simple. There was a lot of back and forth, and the Corinthians were very twisted, messed up people, and Paul is writing all these letters to them from a different country, and, and so it was just messy. And, you know, when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of, you know, somebody that God used to write the Scripture, and so we would probably not ever question the Apostle Paul. You know, if, if it was like Paul said this, and we were like, okay, that sounds pretty good. But if you said Curtis said this, we were like, well, that's not as impressive, right? Because it's Paul. But Paul, you remember, is just a man. Now, God did use him and inspire him to write much of the New Testament, but he was just a man. And so in the Corinthians' minds, he's not above questioning, and they actually had some questions and accusations for Paul. And one of them them is they think that he's wishy-washy. They think that he's back and forth because he had promised to come and visit them. And yet in their minds, when he had the opportunity, at least a couple of times, he didn't come and visit them. And so they think maybe he's just not a man of his word, that sometimes he says yes, but then when it comes time to deliver on that yes, he ends up saying no. And so he writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We read a little bit of it last week, but we'll jump in with verse 18 this week. But he says, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. So he's going to kind of defending himself. No, he's not saying we're back and forth. We're not wishy-washy. But he's going to use this experience to teach them something about God and us this morning as well. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. Verse 20, and this is where we're landing this morning. For as many as are the promises of God in him... They are yes, and therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So it says, for as many as the promises of God, they are yes in Christ. Now God has made promises since the beginning of time. You remember Noah, right at the beginning of the Bible, Noah comes off the ark after God flooded the whole earth to start over with Noah and his family, and he said promised Noah I will never do that again and to show you that I'm going to keep my word I'll put the rainbow in the sky he made promises to Abraham he comes to Abraham and he said if you'll leave everything that you know and come and follow me I'll make you the father of a great nation and through that nation the whole world will be blessed he made promises to Moses remember when Moses was just tending sheep on a mountain and God speaks to him through a burning bush and he says to Moses, you're going to deliver my people Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And Moses has a few objections. You ever have objections with God when he comes to tell you to do something? And so Moses had a few objections. And one of the objections that Moses had was, God, you've asked me to lead a whole people, like a a nation. This is not like just a little tiny tiny number of people. It's not like leading my family or family and friends. This is a whole nation. The problem, God, is is that I don't speak well. I'm not a good communicator. I can't stand up in front of a nation of people and command their attention and speak with any authority. But God made a promise to Moses on that mountain through the bush. He said, I will teach you what to say. 
He made promises to Israel after they are delivered out of slavery in Egypt. He said, you are going to be my people, my distinct sacred people on planet earth, and I will be your God. He made promises to Joshua. Joshua's job after Moses was to bring the Israelites into the promised land, the land that God had given them to be called their own. The only promise with the promised land is that it was currently occupied. And so God commands Joshua to go with the army and push out the current inhabitants of the promised land. And Joshua is obviously afraid, as you would be in that situation. And God says to Joshua a promise, I will never forsake you. I will not abandon you. God made promises to King David. He said to David, one of your descendants is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever. He made another promise to Israel later on in the Old Testament when he said, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Not a covenant written on stone tablets, but a covenant written on your hearts. God has made promises since the beginning. Now those are specific promises to specific people, but he's made more general promises to everyone. Promises like that he will direct our paths in Psalm 32, that he will not forsake us, Deuteronomy 31, that he will give peace that passes understanding in Philippians 4, that you can have the strength that you need, Psalm 18, that you don't have any reason to be afraid, Psalm 27. He promises you eternal life in Christ in Titus chapter 1. He promises Jesus will return in Titus chapter 2. He promises us that in Christ we are free from death and sin, Romans chapter 8. He promises us that we can have joy. No matter what situation you're in, you can have joy in Jeremiah chapter 15. And he promises to be near to all those who call on him in Psalm 145. And we could spend days just listing out all the promises that God has made to his people in his word. What's crazy about God is that God is not under any pressure to make promises. You know, when we make promises, we're usually under some kind of pressure, some kind of tension, right? You remember when you were a teenager, you were standing in front of your parents, and they said, did you do this? And you said, no, they look skeptical. So what did you say? I promise I did not do this. Or you make some kind of commitment to somebody, and they look, look a little leery on whether or not you're going to actually come through with that promise, or that, that statement. What do you say? No, I promise I'm going to be here. I promise I'm going to meet you. I promise I'm going to do this for you. When we make promises, most of the time we're under some kind of pressure. But God is never under any pressure. You know, we make promises when we need to give some kind of assurance that we're going to come through. Because somebody has something on us, that somebody needs something from us, that we owe somebody something. But no man has ownership of God in any way. No man can get to the spot before God and beat him there and owe him anything where God owes him anything. He's never under any pressure. He doesn't have to prove himself by saying, I promise. He just willingly promises to us. There's people, twisted, broken, sinful, weak, weary. He makes promises to us. But it can be dark sometimes in that window between when you know about the promise and when you receive it, can it? It was dark for Abraham. You remember Abraham? Or uh, let's start with David. It was dark for David. We'll get to Abraham in just a second. David, God promised that one of his descendants would be on the throne forever and ever. Now, just do a little math today. Forever and ever, that's a long time. 
I just do the numbers in your head forever, and that's a long time. What's crazy, though, is just a few generations after David, the kingdom of Israel separates, splits into two countries. Then a few generations after that, Israel is not even in charge of themselves anymore. Babylon is in charge. Then Persia, then Greece, then Rome. So just a few generations after David, not only is not one of his descendants on the throne, there's no descendant of any tribe of Israel on the throne. It can be dark while we wait for the promises. What about Abraham? God says to Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Through that nation, the whole world will be blessed. The, promise, though, the problem, though, is that Abraham and his wife, old, and they can't have kids. They couldn't have kids when they were young, can't have kids when they're old. How are they going to be the father of a great nation? How is the whole world going to be blessed through their nation if, if they can't even have one baby? Just one. And so Abraham does what we do in times of darkness. When we're waiting on the promises and we don't see how they're going to come to fruition in our lives, we just take matters into our own hands. If I can't trust God, maybe I can trust myself. And Abraham and his wife Sarah, they come up with a plan. Abraham takes another wife and it ends up a disaster. The darkness is hard between when you know about the promise of God and when you need it and while you wait. It's hard. I uh, brought a picture from our vacation. We went to uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming a few weeks ago in an amazing place. Uh, Jackson Hole is the most beautiful place in the world. And uh, I promise you, I am under no pressure to give that promise, but I promise you, you may think of places more beautiful than that. It's not. You're wrong. Totally wrong. You're dead wrong. And uh, it's one of my favorite places to go. And the Grand Teton Mountains are there, the most photographed mountain range in the world. And so while we were there, we took an amazing picture. And I brought it to show it to you so you could stand in awe right there. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I mean if that doesn't make you emotional, I don't know what will, honestly. I could just stand here and just stare at it. Sometimes when I'm feeling good at home, I just bring it up on my computer and look at it. What you're looking at here, obviously, something so gorgeous, is the side of the door of our vehicle. If you look on the left, you can see a little white spot where that's the power locks where the, or power windows, some right around there. And the window is the white part. But what if I brought that picture and said, this is from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, one of the most beautiful places in the world, but you formed your opinion based just on that picture. That would be ridiculous. That would be crazy. Because what you can't see is right outside that window may be the most majestic mountains that have ever risen up out of planet Earth. Or it could be a, um, a giant moose or elk with a massive set of horns. Or a beaver or a wolf or a bald eagle or an owl. I mean, anything. It could be an unbelievable, undescribable waterfall in Yellowstone National Park because that's all there, right outside the window. So it would be crazy to form your opinion just based on this tiny little picture. See, the hard part about the promises of God is, you know, we can only see a few steps in front of us. And we can only remember a few steps behind us. 
And sometimes in those few steps, it's just nothing but darkness. And God has said, up ahead is something unbelievable. Up ahead is the fruition of all that you've ever needed and all that you've ever believed in. Up ahead is, but you can't see up ahead. You can only see a few steps in front of you and a few steps in back of you. And so what a lot of people do is we form all of our opinions about the faithfulness of God based on those few steps that we can see. But right outside the window is a faithfulness that no man's mind could conceive. Because nobody puts pressure on God to make promises. So when he makes a promise, he has already decided in his heart that he is going to say yes. If he does not say yes, he does not make the promise. So don't make a decision about the promises of God and the faithfulness of God based on just what you see can see in front of you because you don't know what's three steps in front of you or four steps or five steps or six months from now or a year from now or five years from now. You don't know what's coming down the road. But because we only get those few steps of light, it can feel dark. But what Paul is saying is that we can have assurance today that if God has made a promise, it's a yes in Christ. See, the Christ is the ultimate yes to all of God's promises. Noah, God promises Noah, I will never flood the earth like this ever again. And because of Jesus, he doesn't have to. Because Jesus... Well, he paid that penalty for us on the cross. And so now instead of destruction, which we deserve because of our sin, we get forgiveness because of Jesus. So God doesn't have to destroy the world because he can forgive the world in his son. God's promise to Abraham, the whole world will be blessed by you and your descendants. Jesus, son of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, has blessed the world like no other person in history. God's promise to David, one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever and ever. But just a few generations after David died, there was no throne really to sit on until you remember the Christmas story. A descendant of David goes to the town of David, Bethlehem, and gives birth to another descendant of David named Jesus the Son of God, the King of every king, who will sit on a throne forever and ever and ever. And those are just the specific promises that God made to specific people. They find their yes in Christ. What about all the general ones too? God has promised us strength, the strength that we need. We see that in Jesus. We see that yes in Jesus. Remember when Jesus comes out of the wilderness after being tempted 40 days and 40 nights, being tempted by Satan himself. God strengthens him. Jesus would go up on top of the mountain all alone to pray. God would strengthen him there. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is getting ready to stare the cross right in the face. That torture, that beating, that abuse, that abandonment. And God gives him strength there. God promises to be with us. I mean, is that more clear? Is that anywhere more clear than in Jesus? And I want to show you another way that the promises are yes in Jesus, especially for us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. 
Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. So this is before they've become Christians. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. What that means is before we became Christians, because we are Gentiles, most of us are Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, because we're Gentiles, we're not Jewish people, we're not the specific uh, set-apart people of God, it means that you and I, before Christ, we can't flip through the Old Testament and go, hey, God made that promise to that person, that means he's made it to me. If you're not in Christ, you can't do that. Why? Because we're strangers to the covenants of promise. We're separate. We're excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. But, verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the door that was close to us, the promises of God, has been opened by Jesus. And because we are in Christ, we are now the people of God. We join in with the people of God. So now we can go through the Old Testament and say, God promised this, this people this thing, so he's promising it. To me as well. God has said yes to us. He's opened that door to us in Christ. I want you to turn back Second Corinthians chapter 20. All of God's promises are yes in Christ. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So also through Jesus is our amen. Now when we think of the word amen, we're usually using it in a functional way. It serves a function. Like amen for most of us is just the period at the end of our prayers. It's how everyone in the world knows that you are in fact done praying. Annabeth is in a really interesting prayer season of her life. She's three and a half. I know that you're concerned. Uh, but, um, but earlier this summer, Annabeth was going through this prayer thing phase as she's learning to pray where she would never like pray loud enough for anyone to hear her. So when it would be her turn to pray at dinner, she would just kind of go, like you could hear her whispering. She was praying something, but it couldn't, you know, you couldn't hear her. And so then you'd say, Annabeth, you need to speak up so we can hear you. She'd go, oh. <laughs> Now we're in this thing with sweet little Annabeth um, where she just never stops praying. Now that sounds really godly and spiritual, but it's supremely annoying because... <laughs> Annabeth doesn't pray for a lot of things. She prays for about five things. And then when she's done praying for those five things, she just starts all over again. And so as glad as I am that she is thankful to God for daddy. Like, I don't need to hear that five times before I'm getting ready to eat a hamburger. You know what I'm saying? And so as she gets into one of her prayer loops at the dinner table, you know, just when I feel like it's time, you know, when the spirit has departed and moved on to somebody else's table, I will break in and say, in Jesus' name, amen. And see, I'm trying to catch her on the amen so that she will go, oh yeah, I'm finished, and amen. But sometimes when I break in and say, in Jesus' name, amen, she'll go, no, I'm not finished yet, and then she'll come <laughs> right back to it. But that's what amen is for, you know, it's to, to let everybody know, I'm, I'm done now. I'm done talking to God, God, I'm done talking to you, and now I'm moving on with the rest of my business. But it's more than that. Or, you know, in some churches, not really our church, when the pastor says something really good, and that's why it's not in our church, somebody will go, amen, you know what I'm saying? And Amanda and I went to church uh, where there's a sweet older man who loved, whenever the pastor would say just something amazing, um, he would, I mean, just, he just had the lowest voice on planet earth, and, he, and, and it would be so loud, it would be dead quiet in the rest of the church, and he would go, amen. <laughs> it was awesome. 
we don't do that here really because, um, you know, that would make, distract me. So, um, but that's what amen has meant for us. Kind of one of those two things. But what amen really means is it means, yeah. Yeah. So ideally, you know, we say when we, when one of us prays, we all pray here at Bayou City Fellowship. What that means is it means when somebody else is praying and, and they're saying what you would say, you go, yeah, amen, amen. That's what you want to say at the end of your prayers, because hopefully your prayers were so stirred up in faith that when you finish, you go, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I meant that, what I just said. I meant that. And so I'm going to say amen to what I just said. I say yes again to that. You know, but there have been a lot of prayers that I've prayed in my life where I shouldn't have said amen. I just should have said, I guess. Jesus, be with that person, I guess. Help that person if you want to. Bless me, bless us, I guess. But amen means, yeah, yes, I agree, I believe that. So what Paul is saying is all of our promises, all of God's promises are yes in Christ. The way we receive those promises is we say yes back to him. Have you ever made a promise to a child does that child, after you've made that promise to them, do they just go about their business, forget about it, and just hope that one day you come through? No, that's not what a child does. I uh, made the terrible mistake one time of promising Jackson that I would take him to Chuck E. Cheese. And, uh, you know, Chuck E. Cheese, God bless it, Chuck E. Cheese is for kids and for the punishment of parents. And so um, we try not to break out the Chuck E. Cheese, but only for special occasions, friends' birthday parties, and bribes. And so we were trying to give some incentives, bribes slash whatever, uh, to Jackson for doing well in school. And so it was something like, hey, if you do this, you get this mark on your grade card, whatever, we'll take you to Chuck E. Cheese. And so, but it, Jackson couldn't, you know, he just, he's six. He wasn't getting it all in his mind. So he'd wake up in the morning and be like, hey, good morning. Is today Chuck E. Cheese Day? <laughs> no, it's not, not today. Remember, it's the great card thing. You get, so it's like months from now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next morning. Hey, good morning. Chuck E. Cheese today, right? <laughs> no, do you not understand time? You know, no, it's not today. Sometimes he wouldn't even wait till the next day. Later that afternoon, he'd be like, are you sure it's not Chuck E. Cheese today? Because I'm pretty sure it's Chuck E. Cheese today. But what he was doing is I made the promise and he said, yes. I believe that. And I received that actively. See, what I have done most of my life is I've read these amazing promises from God and just thought that they just float around in spiritual space and at the right time, I'll wake up in the morning and boom, there it is. But in Christ, the promises are yes, they are guaranteed. God will not fail his word. Our responsibility is to say, amen. Yes, I receive it. And so what that looks like, I think, is it looks like, God, you have said in your word, you have promised in your word, in James chapter 1, wisdom for all who ask. And what I'm saying back to you is, yes, you will give wisdom to everyone who asks. God, you have said in Psalm 27, 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You have promised that there is nothing for me to fear. And what I say back is yes, there is nothing and no one for me to fear. God, I'm in the middle of this situation right now and everyone else in my life thinks it's hopeless and I'm terribly afraid and I'm all twisted up with anxiety, but you have promised in your word to give a peace that passes all understanding and I'm saying back to you in this moment, yes, you will give me a peace that passes all understanding. The yes is in Christ and we say amen back. But most of us have not been saying amen back. We've just been hearing it and hoping one day it would magically happen to us. And we need to move from that to actively receiving it because when you receive it, you will eventually see it. So here's the takeaway today. What promise of God is most relevant to you in this season of your life, in this moment of your life? I mean, maybe you don't have a little computer app to look up all the promises of God, but you can Google that and they'll just, just magically it will appear and you can find a list when you get home. But what promise from God is most relevant to you right now? Is it provision? Is it peace? Is it strength? Is it courage? Is it wisdom? Is it direction? Right now, the one I'm carrying is uh, Psalm 37. It says, I have been young and I have been old, but... I have never seen the righteous forsaken. And so how this hits the ground in my life this week is me waking up in the morning and saying, God, you have said in your word that you will not forsake the righteous. And what I'm telling you this morning is you will not forsake the righteous. I believe that and I say yes to that because I need to know that. I may not even get through the whole day. I may not be able to make it the next morning. I just may get to lunch and I may get all worried again. God, you have said in your word, that you will not forsake the righteous. And I say, yes, you will not forsake the righteous. You find one promise that's most relevant to you right now. And you see the yes in Christ. Christ is your proof that God has said yes to that promise. And you receive it. You say amen back to it. You say yes to it. And you'll see that promise come to fruition in your life. Let's pray. God, it feels risky to say that you will come through on your promises. Because all we get to see is just a few steps in front of us. But God, we believe and have every evidence that you are faithful. And so we're not giving you a back door this morning, God, that you can sneak out of for those of us who doubt. So give us faith. And we say yes back to you and all of your promises. We say amen. We receive them. We don't know how they're going to come to pass in our days. But we say yes. We're going to reach for them, God. So bring them to pass. Bring them full circle in our lives. 